Hello students, and welcome to Class of X, the free internet course on how to read and enjoy the X-Men comics better. I'm your teacher and host, John Reisinger, and today I'm joined by waifu aficionado and brunch time Twitch streamer, Black Crystal, aka BK. And today we're talking about Christina Weir and Nunzio de Philippus' new X-Men Academy X. Hi, BK. Hello. Oh my gosh. That was so awesome. I love the intro. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's two episodes in a row. I've gotten compliments about the intro. Uh, I, I must be getting good at it. <laughs> I'm so honored to be here. I cannot wait to dive into these things. Like, you know me, I love a good slice of life and you just picked probably the best thing ever for me to read. Honestly. Oh my gosh. You're making me feel so much better about my choice. I'm nervous about every choice I send to my guests because I just don't know if it's just going to hit them wrong. Um, I really wanted to try to find something that might feel right for you. And I was hoping that I'd hit the mark. Um, uh, full disclosure, I haven't, I hadn't read, you know, read what we read, the new X-Men Academy X since like 2004. So it's been a minute. Oh, wow. Um, so I, 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 and that's been the case with a lot of these things that we've been reading. I've been going off of vibes that I had back in the day when I read this stuff and then rereading it. And then sometimes being like, oh, that, that didn't age as well as I remember it, but it's still interesting as a, as a slice of the time it was written in. Um, but I'm glad to hear it. You enjoyed yourself. That's great. Um, we'll get into the meat of what we read, uh, which was a lot. You read six whole issues with me, and I appreciate that. Um, we read through the basically the first arc of this very short run of New X-Men Academy X. I think it only ran for another like seven issues. But before we get into that, I'd love to hear, because I don't actually know at all, what's your background with comics, X-Men, all of the above? I'd love to hear about it. Um, my background is pretty new. I did know a lot about DC Comics a little bit. I kind of got into like a killing joke and things like that. Um, nice. And uh, We Are Robins definitely caught my attention. But it's already Fun. new in the last, I don't know, maybe like two, three years. Like just before the pandemic, I was really getting out there um, and being able to go to comic stores in New York. So I was eating up everything like Rat Queen Saga, like manga. <laughs> I was like, what yeah, is yeah, this yeah. world? Let me let me be a part of it. That's a that's a very uh, lengthy uh, world to get into the manga world. They <laughs> if anybody has more issues and stories than like the the big you know dc and marvel it's got to be the manga world there's just so much i don't even know how you tackle that but that's the same view i have on anime i don't know how people tackle anime because there's just so much to choose from no that's very much overwhelming uh, <laughs> and don't get me started with light novels like they are ridiculous and i'm a crazy person who's also trying to read real books. So uh, I think comics end up being more fun because I really enjoy the visuals. I'm, I'm a visual person. So when you were like, hey, let's check out something like this, I'm like, yo, sign me up. I'm, I'm ready. Where do I start? That's great. That's definitely also a similar reason why I got into it when I was a little kid because I loved art. I loved drawing. I love that kind of thing. And so uh, if there was a form of literature that was uh, at least half visuals, you know, compared to how much words are there, then I was into it. So, yeah, it's 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 I think it's a it's a fun way to consume literature with uh, this many pictures. Some people would say picture books are for little kids, but, you know, graphic novels for adults, too. Um. So what what is what was your first introduction to X-Men then? You talk about Batman, you talk about manga. Where did you come into the X-Men world at all? Not just comic book related, but where did that introduction come from? I guess it would probably be the movies, if I'm being honest. It's pretty um, common. Yeah, I, I was very much into it growing up. Those were a staple. I'm I'm a big fan of Wolverine and, and Storm. I think I've seen pretty much all of them, even the new ones. But I've never done a comic before. I guess I... I feel like I feel stupid now thinking about it, but I'm like, well, of course there'd be comics. It's it's like it's excellent. <laughs> like, but you forget there's so many movies of them, and then series. I watched the animated series yeah. uh, growing up, and I loved that. I I think your your reaction is actually a much more common kind of feeling about the X Men, but it came to a surprise to me when I grew up because, well, a lot of my friends. I knew about, you know, the cartoon at the very least, you know, people knew about that or even the video games, the X-Men arcade game was super oh my God, popular yeah. back in the day. Um, but I'm, I, I thought that just like everybody read them, you know, it's like, Oh, everybody knew X-Men. So everybody must read them. But I, I've, I'm come to find out that's like, Oh, that wasn't the case. And what you're talking about, the movies really were an introduction 
for most people to this team and was the definition of who these characters were that the very first episode I did this with my buddy Andy and he uh, and it blew my mind that I'm like oh your definition of rogue is Anna Paquin's portrayal of it mm-hmm. in the X-Men films not even the cartoon from the 90s he had not watched that it was the Anna Paquin and that's so interesting to me so you you is am I reading this clearly is this the first x-men book you've ever read i i think so my brain is like i going through the spongebob meme looking through all the files like think of the comics what media did you consume i can't think of another x-men comic i've read oh my gosh did you did you make it through the six issues and understand any of this now i feel bad i'm like, no, I'm like you probably I don't even know it. who like emma frost is i know I emma read- frost is okay i know okay. who emma frost is i uh, okay. uh, yeah 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 i got all that Okay, good. Okay, so well, then I'll say that this still was, I think, a very good comic to give you because I, I, I figure you figured this out, that this was an introduction to a whole new set of students that really were not known very well prior to this. I mean, even this first issue, number one, is an introduction through the team that would become the New Mutants. So this is good you you got I, I i did what i attempted to do you I'll, I'll let the audience know basically the i've said this before i let my guests give me some sort of like a direction whether it be a character or an era or just a vibe that they want and i'll find a comic that kind of coincides with that and i think you threw out some names but you mostly were like you're like if you could find me like some new waifus to get into that'd be great and i'm like well how do i find how do i find <laughs> new characters and then it, I was like just browsing through old titles and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this was like literally a story about just like a dozen new characters that they were introducing for almost the first time to try to entice clearly a younger generation to get into these stories. Um, well, then uh, let me give you let me let me give you maybe some much needed backstory as to what was why what this comic was that we read and why i chose you to read is that okay if we go through a little bit of that i would love to because they kept saying that the academy was destroyed and they rebuilt (laughs) it and i'm sitting here like all right i watch anime i can accept that's the state of the world i'm like okay sentinels exist i'm like all these characters that i liked i saw iceman came in i said that's bobby i was (laughs) but i had no i'm like well where's xavier what's going what is he doing i have no idea so please give me some context I love that the idea of of Iceman showing up and you like pointing like I know that guy I know him I know him hey y'all I know this guy um so yeah so this was part of a whole thing they were doing with all the X-Men titles that they titled X-Men Reload and it was basically an attempt at kind of starting up something new in the wake of a big thing that had happened prior um in fact those who had listened to the previous episode of this podcast will understand what i'm talking about which is new x-men now i know this comic is called new x-men academy x it basically took the name of a whole relaunch that a, a very popular author named grant morrison had done i don't know if you've ever heard of him through any of your your trappings through comics and and literature but um he had done a big old run called on new x-men um, and had gone on for about 30 plus issues. It ended. and um, But he had made a bunch of big changes to the canon of X-Men um, that might not be as shocking to you because you've watched the movies, but was a shocking thing for the books because while in the movies, like the school is a school full of bunch of young students. And then there's like clearly like older uh uh you know teachers that are part of the x-men that wasn't always the case of the comics the comics were often like there was like eh, maybe a dozen or two dozen people there that were you know training or being part of the x-men or learning and then that was about it but what grant morrison did prior to this was that uh, um, one of the big changes it was that professor x came out publicly as a mutant for the first time in all of x-men history so that was about in 2001 and then he opened up the school officially as like a full-on full-fledged school so they kind of increased their numbers to like 200 students so that's why when you're reading this it's like it, it feels like it's a populated school there's like there's like background characters that don't even get names in this you know um even at the beginning like we're introduced by this little quill like character kid and he doesn't show up for the rest of the comic he was just like kind of the introduction character <laughs> And so, yeah, so it was like, you know, uh, Grant Morrison did this. And then so the reason why you don't see Professor X in this is that he has 
is something big. I don't want to give spoilers to those who want to actually read New X-Men, but something big happened at the end of Grant Morrison's run, and Professor X left to go kind of rebuild this island mutant community on this island called Genosha. And so he's off doing kind of a side project. That's why he's not here. And the reason why Cyclops and Emma are running things is that they're the two that stayed. Um, I don't. You. I think they explicitly said in the comic, Cyclops and Emma are a couple at this point, which I don't know if that's confusing. That's news surprising. to me. Yeah. Yes. I guess he got a thing for telepaths because uh... a bit, a bit. You think? <laughs> you think? <laughs> um. Yeah. So uh, at this time, this is a little spoilery, but you got to know it. Jean Grey is dead. Again. Okay. Well, Dark Phoenix, right? Again well, after post. Sorry. This is yeah. That's why I say again because oh, this is the no. second time she's died. Girl dies a lot. <laughs> Um, okay, R.I.P. Jean Grey. So, uh, R.I.P. Jean Grey, she's gone. Um, and uh, Cyclops and Emma are left, and they're the ones who are serving as headmasters of Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. Um, and yes, the uh, the X Men and the school are now like a public entity, and so they are taking in like new students, and they're dealing with like you know publicity and and the the, the you know the public's eye and that kind of thing. The other thing that's happening before this is that um, there was a title. I, I, you've, you've probably heard at least from the movie of a team called New Mutants, correct? Yes. Okay. So that's that was basically the New Mutants were the second generation of youngins that started at the Xavier School. But this is like th- this that book's as old as like I think like the 70s or 80s. Um, they did another volume of it, volume two, that happened in 2003, and that ran for another, like, I think it's like 13 issues, written by the same um, people that wrote this one, which are actually a husband and wife, uh, Christina Weir and uh, uh, Nunzio de Philippus. Um, they're uh, this, this couple that basically writes everything together. And in fact, um, their most recent project for the last few years is they've been writing the comics for Dragon Age. Oh my God, the, I love Dragon the, Age. I figured that might connect with you a little Holy bit. Holy cow! I, 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 <laughs> so the comic adaptation of Dragon Age—they've been writing those for for a while, like like twenty seventeen, something like that. And uh, I think I think it's quite you know a, a kind of adorable when a couple like this like, oh, totally. like is like working on these projects. And so they were writing New Mutants Volume Two, um, which actually introduced a bunch of these characters to a degree, um, but not a ton. Uh, but that's why you kind of feel like there's a little bit of a backstory that you're jumping in on in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still feel like it was pretty easy to jump in, to like kind of get the vibe of it because they still spent like this whole first issue introducing these characters. But that's basically what's happening is that like the school has a whole bunch of new students and these are the new generation. And I think you can tell from the writing that, again, like I said, they were trying to create a new cast for a new generation of readers, which is common in these comics. I mean, you even said like the, the Robins are a great example of like trying to get, you know, new characters into the Batman comics and new readers to check in on that kind of thing. Um, by the way, I like Damien the best. He's my favorite. Uh, yes. <laughs> he, he's, he's, he's a little tyrant and I love it. Our um, little Brad boy. <laughs> yeah. He's great. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's what we're interested in. And so that's why this whole thing was just kind of like, it felt, I don't know, I'm rereading it. It felt like a CW series at this point. Do you get that vibe at all? <laughs> I'm glad you said it. <laughs> I really am. But it's like, it's giving Arrow, but like first two seasons, like in yeah. the vibe for sure. I loved it though. It really did take you back to kind of like square one. Like it was very easy to be like gently reminded about everything. And like the themes that I love about X-Men were still very prominent with like the the idea of like controlling your powers and how they're always on. And I think that's what made me like X-Men and, and mutant stuff so much. Yeah, it's definitely something that like, you know, characters like Rogue were definitely personifications of. It's this idea of like young mutants, not either knowing how to control their powers very well or in some cases not having any control over their powers and that being you know other than like them being persecuted and you know hated by humans that being the main reason why they need to go to xavier school they got to learn how to deal with it um you're you're the first person we're introduced to is uh, noriko ashida um who's got the code name surge and she was a big part of new mutants volume one um they alluded to it in this comic where 
she had no control over her like electricity absorbing powers they were ruining her life and in fact she was using she was you know basically utilizing drug abuse in order to try to control it. and that's obviously not like it's not a good solution for anything um and so that's where she's like she finally made her way to Xavier's school and beast made her these special gauntlets that help her control you know that discharge and and so forth um and so yeah i i, I think that's it the, the whole thing was a great example i i kind of basically just want to go through these characters a little bit and just kind of talk through like what you thought of them like um I, actually i'll give you the option who who did you like the most out of this whole like cacophony of characters oh that's such a hard question why would you do that to me <laughs> i just like you gave me like a buffet well, platter of, of it's either characters. that or tell me who you didn't like the who you dislike the most uh who i dislike this the most that little kid on the other team he's shut his mouth but he was redeeming himself towards the end there being which one the Um, the one with telekinesis yeah 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 heli and the helions like what's up with him like (laughs) he needs to get it together okay (laughs) he is definitely the villain like he's the bully of the school he's a little turd um you wonder why like even like uh sophia wind dancer likes him and that kind of thing um yeah he plays that up so well uh he he goes through he i think here's what's great about these characters that not all these characters i feel like are dealt with in the most like i don't know uh gentle and 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 nuanced way like there's a lot of like um telling on yourself in this story but what was great about this book, I'll say this for the listeners, is that it was an introduction of a lot of characters that then as they got handed around to a bunch of other titles and authors and that kind of thing, a lot of these characters really developed into really interesting individuals beyond this kind of, again, CW character trope style. And even even Julian, you wouldn't expect it, but he... he he grows he grows a little bit he kind of he kind of has to go through i won't spoil it but he goes through some like really bad trauma you know trauma can really like change your perspective on things um he goes through some like actual like physical transformation trauma um but it takes a little bit of the wind out of his sails and he does develop into uh you know not not a fully likable character he's always a little bit of of a jerk um but he he comes back well then who who did you like? Who okay. did you like in this? What cat? What person did we did we were we drawn to? I so I did really enjoy Surge, um, and finding out that the like her gauntlets were made by Beast is pretty cool. But mm-hmm. I thought he was like good at making stuff. These things be breaking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what's well, up with that? <laughs> he's he's not always the best mechanical engineer. Thankfully, right. the, X, the X Men have someone else. His name is Forge, and he kind of fixes that. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's you know he's just kind of making quick fixes for like a, probably a student, a, you know, a, a giant school of people, and he's right. trying to be a professor himself and that kind of thing. But uh, agreed, um, these things breaking immediately and turning on the uh, danger room sentinel program so they have to do a fight is not the best engineering no i was very upset in the nice way it was just it was such a good cliche if that makes sense like the whole time i'm watching it i feel like i was watching my hero and that might not be a great reference for all of you ah, listeners that's good no that's good i felt like it and it was only further solidified when we met the guy who had the wither character yeah that's like pretty much the bad guy in my hero so once he was introduced <laughs> i was like oh i like him hold on <laughs> Yeah, you like the the broody little yep, goth, edgy uh, bad boy. Oh, he's so yeah, sad. who's really an artist and does industrial art he's and so- uh, yeah, you know, I fell in love with him. I was like, and I don't even like boys like that. Okay, it's so funny. Uh, y- y- did you ever see the animated feature film Iron Giant? Yes. Oh my god. Okay. Yes. The little industrial garbage, uh, uh, you know, artist kind of character Aww. that's in it. Um, that that I've I forgot that this character Kevin Ford, who plays Wither, not plays Wither, codename Wither. I'm talking about like their their TV show characters. Um, yeah. That I was like, oh, I forgot that he like got because because he can't touch really biological stuff, so he loves working with like metal and concrete. And I was like, oh, that's such a cool way to kind of use his detriment to like as as a as a you know personality trait and i I think that's kind of fun when they do that with people um i 
so we like wither mm-hmm. what did you think of i'm the, i think the person i'm actually really curious about is like what sort of vibes did you get from this josh foley character who plays elixir who's like this omega level healer he he's <sighs> He, he goes through a few things in this that I felt were a little clunky, but I, I want to get your reaction first. Like, what what did you feel about this guy? I mean, at first I was like, okay, he's like a lame And then I was like, oh, he's like a Chad because <laughs> he is over here macking with the teachers. He said that teacher line, and I was like, you know what? He does peg me for a, someone to fall for a professor. And then yeah. literally in the next beat when we see him, I was like, oh, he macking on this beast lady who yeah. is gorgeous, by the way. I'm kind of obsessed <laughs> with her too. So I like love, hate him. I'm more like, hey, just like get over yourself. You could be a really cool guy but he's always just one level too conceited for me. Yeah. Well, they don't go into it in this series, but he does have a little bit of a backstory uh, prior to this that they explore in the New Mutants Volume 2. He's introduced in that book. Um, he actually, I think they might have said it at some point maybe in this, but if they didn't, he actually used to be a mutant hater. Um Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, he was like full on in a mutant hating group. Um, what? He didn't know. Yeah, he <gasps> didn't know he was a mutant. He wasn't always gold like this. Like you would think that if you look like that, you would know. But he didn't always look that way. And so he actually joined up with this um, like mutant hating activist group called the Reavers. Um, and it wasn't until he was a part of the group that then he realized he was a mutant with these healing powers. And so he was ousted from the group and full on like, like beat by beat up by them and was given no choice, but to go and try and join the school. And so he's coming at from that, at it from that angle of like, he didn't know he was part of the group, but he's kind of finding his way in here now that he's like, not only a mutant, but now because of, um, he was, he had regular looking, you know, skin and hair and that kind of thing. Uh, and, but he went through like a, uh, in fact, that girl, the teacher accidentally like mauled him, um, while they were making out long story. Uh Oh, sounded like new moon. Yeah. A little bit like that. (laughs) And, uh, and they had to kind of like force him while he was like in, uh, like severe, you know, distress, they had to force him to heal himself. And so when he did that, he transformed himself into this like golden looking boy. Um, I'm glad that I'm actually, I, I wanted to get a, like a, a no background response to him and rain Sinclair who plays Wolfsbane, not plays Wolfsbane. Stop saying that John, <laughs> um, who is Wolfsbane. And because while they explicitly point out that she's only like two or three years older than him in this, it's kind of jarring for an old reader like myself to see someone like her, like macking on a student because the sliding time scale of comics kind of messes with things, you know, like, like, let's use the Robins as an example. The Robins don't really age very much. Um, While like, you know, Nightwing Drake has been around for forever. He still looks like he's in his mid twenties, you know? Right. Um, And so that, that's how it works in comics that these characters have, they're around for so long, but like, they don't like, you know, Sue Storm and Reed Richards should be, you know, ancient people, but they still look like they're these, this couple that's in their like late thirties, early forties kind of thing. Um, and so Rain has been around, like I said, for 30, 40 years at this point, 50 years at this point. And so it's, yeah, I kind of have to turn my brain on to like uh, off to like how long she's been around and just read her as, okay, she's actually 19. They explicitly say it 19 because it almost feels highly inappropriate that this kid who's clearly super young is like, you know, like you said it, macking on the teacher. So I'm glad it read that way because I think that's what they were hoping for. Was it just to be, you know, a little bit naughty, but not super bad. Yeah, I definitely felt it was believable in a sense. And I was really shocked to find out how like young the kids are. I don't know why I didn't think they'd be like 15 or 16 in my mind, you know, right? (laughs) Okay, that's not crazy to say. 
No, it's it all depends on the artist. And even in this six issue run, we jump around. I think three artists are, are drawing this. Like you'll notice like in issue three, it changed drastically to a different style. Mm-hmm. And then I think in issue five, it kind of came back to kind of a, a, a little a similar style than the, to the original two. But still, it got, gets passed around, which is kind of common and a little bit in these side project titles. Like this isn't like this isn't the flagship title of X-Men. And so they sometimes have to just kind of hire a few artists to do it. Um, but yes, it can sometimes be hard to tell how young they are because I don't know, it's just hard to draw a kid, you know, uh, and consistently keep them young looking next to, you know, the adults, quote unquote, you know, Cyclops and Emma and that kind of thing. Like Cyclops, depending on who's drawing him, can sometimes come across as someone in his late 20s or someone who's in his mid 40s. It just depends on who's drawing him. And because of, like I said, the sliding time scale of comics, it's hard to tell what age these characters are. Because, again, Cyclops has been around since 1960s. So the dude's old. Is that old? Wait. Yeah, the X-Men have been around since the 1960s. Oh, my God. I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so... Yeah, uh, I'm glad you like Josh because I he's I, he's a really interesting character that later on like they even use this term omega level mutant and I'm I'm gonna jump to conclusions and say you don't know exactly what that means or maybe you do. And you um, can... Scarlet Witch is an omega level mutant, no. <laughs> Scarlet Witch is a very powerful no, superhuman. Not. Okay. Um, who actually is has was retconned as not being a mutant. Oh, really? It's fully retconned. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I thought she was um, I thought she was Magneto's daughter. The wikis lied. They lied yeah, to me, John. <laughs> I know. Well, it, it's 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 like it's something that they did semi recent, like in the last like I don't know five years, um, and it's convoluted. And it's she was <laughs> she like again. She's a character that's been around uh, since the nineteen seventies. That kind of thing. So. She's been Magneto's daughter for a lot longer than she hasn't been, so it's understandable to be confused at this point. But um, as she she's a super powerful metahuman for sure, like you know all reality altering levels of abilities. Um, but uh, no, I, I'll tell you who is a mega level mutant. It's actually your boy Iceman. He's a mega level mutant. Are Essentially, you kidding me? I know. I know. Well, what? Okay, explain, Sensei. I'm gonna need you to buzz this down for me because <laughs> my brain is not computing. Previously on X Men. Hello, students, and welcome once again back to Class of X. Happy New Year, everybody! I hope you had a good beginning of 2023. I hope you're enjoying BK. If you are loving the energy and enthusiasm she brought to this episode, please go check her out on Twitch. You can get that good entertainment that she brings every single week. And if you're enjoying this show, might I ask, could you leave a review maybe on a podcast platform you're listening to on? Or even better, tell a friend about the show. Get everybody excited about X-Men because I feel it. This is going to be the year. This is the year of X-Men. Maybe X-Men movies? Come on, just at least give us an announcement on X-Men movies this year, please. I need it. I need it. Anyways, thank you so much for listening. Thank you if you're a patron and that's your thing. I love the support. I love the shout outs on social media. Keep them coming. And let's get back to the show. Yeah, let's get back to it. And listen to me explain Omega Level Mutants for, I think, the 15th time. Enjoy. There are different designations for power levels of of mutants, which is I think actually used a similar kind of thing in like uh, anime, My Hero Academia. Tons yeah. of anime, so I'm ready. Yeah. You're about to put Dragon Ball and My Hero and I'm all those so things. So excited to learn about this. Okay, go ahead. I'm taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, there's there's like uh, uh, little not very powerful mutants that have very little abilities, and they're kind of on the bottom tier. And then there's like betas that have like noticeable mutations, but it's not really like useful or super powerful. And then you have alphas, which are very powerful mutants that are noticeably mutants, um, but there is a limitation to their powers. Uh, a good example is Cyclops himself. He's an alpha level mutant, super powerful, uh, very noticeable mutation, um, has high control over it, but there's a limitation to it. The man can only shoot optic blasts as hard as he can. 
Um, Omega level mutants are mutants that have mutant abilities that have no upper limitation to what they can do. They're basically only confined to the training and abilities, the, uh, the training that the person has put into their powers at that point. And so there's no upper limit. They can keep really reaching to extreme limitations of their powers. Iceman being one of them. He wasn't always Omega level. It wasn't until he developed his powers into a way, but Iceman has heat manipulation powers that have shown no upper limitation. He has shown like crazy new abilities, like the ability to step into water and transport himself across huge bodies of water. He's been able to manipulate his size and add on to himself to become, you know, as big as a skyscraper. He's, he's been able to create other copies of himself and animate them through his own ability control over ice. So Iceman's like that. Elixir is also a mega level. He is a healer who has shown no upper limitations to his healing ability. He's, he has, in fact, been able to, in some ways, bring people back from the dead. There's a big asterisk on that. But he uh, he is an Omega level, and so, like, it, it, that's the definition. Did I make sense with that? You've blown my mind. Like, I, I have totally put Icepin at a different level now. Like, I... <laughs> I was like, oh, he's like C at best. And now I'm like, yo, my man's is crazy. Yeah. Insane. So like, other than bringing back to life, is there other weird like powers that Elixir could could do? Like, I'm trying to figure out how that power would be applied. Yeah. I'm hoping people will continue to read X-Men. That's my whole point of doing this podcast. Uh, So, but I will clue you in. He actually does develop what is considered a secondary mutation, um, which is something they've explored a lot more extensively um, uh, after Grant Morrison took over new X-Men. So recently, and as far as what we were reading Um, and through, I'm trying to remember exactly what was the circumstance, but essentially he was fighting. I think he might've been fighting. Was it Wither or somebody later on? And um, he was so angered that he, uh, he in fact you know he, he he can heal but he triggered a secondary mutation and was able to control you know biology in a negative way like kill people or give them ailments and so Whoa. he actually like you know he's all gold and everything like that mm-hmm. when he, that happened he turned like black onyx <gasps> kind of looking um and then eventually found his way to have both powers at the same time and so he's he's kind of like gold and black swirling in him um currently depending on what power he's using um and in fact right now in the x-men comics um with this a whole soft reboot they did with jonathan hickman um with house of x powers of 10 he's part of a uh mutant circuit group that's called the five and the there are five mutants that through the combination of their powers they're able to resurrect all mutants that they want to um, and he's a big part of it. He is the one who actually, they kind of create these, um, giant, uh, eggs, if you will. And he's the one who jumpstarts the kind of like life replication part of the biology for all of these resurre- resurrections. So he's, he's extremely important to the X-Men, almost like on a religious level at this point. Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm very interested. I think that's the like I'm so I could sit here and listen to you talk. I'm trying to like not wiki. I'm like bringing up the wikis so I can read them afterwards because I don't want to like get distracted. I'm so fascinated. Well, that and that, that's kind of like what made me choose this story was that this kind of can seem as you read it through kind of innocuous and you 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 know you called it out like you're like I don't even see Professor X in this comic like there's barely any of the mainstays in this uh, other than like you know Cyclops and and Iceman show up and Emma Frost is there if you know her but uh, these characters were created by Christina Weir and Nunzio de Philippus but a lot of these characters have stayed around and have been huge parts of the X-Men comics and and kind of like got to develop their powers to a crazy level uh soraya kadir is another good example dust um who i don't you know they they introduce her and kind of utilize a lot of stereotypical like muslim culture and afghani women kind of tropes with her um but i kind of did a little bit of research into her as like what people's response and i was glad to see that while people admitted that she was you know, obviously making her whole like appearance being a big part of her her personality at the beginning, like being able to, you know, she's wearing her 
uh, what is she's she's practicing hijab essentially, mm-hmm. um, and has a uh, the the niqab that's what it's called the full face covering kind of a uh, uh, clothing that a lot of people were excited to see that like Muslim representation and uh, you know uh, Afghani women representation in these comics and that kind of thing and so I was. I was happy to say that. I don't. I don't. I'm curious. Like, what was your read on her? Like, did you, she's not a huge part of the comic, but what was your feel on her? Dust. Um, she definitely jumped out to me right away. I think that was probably my only complaint of something that felt, I, I guess, outdated when you're kind of brought into yeah. the story through the lens of Serge. So it leads to me when you read it that Serge's opinion is the one that's favored, but they always give room for Dust to give their side of how they view what they do. And it is very strong in support of wearing that. It's respectful. So there is a middle ground, but it's definitely like a product of its time, I think, when regarding that relationship. I thought she was cool. I wanted to know more about her. I enjoyed it being that kind of rivalry. I felt like there could be growth there and understanding i felt like it set the seeds for that so i'd be curious to see if if it does happen i know you keep saying this run is short and i'm like what is short i just read six of these john (laughs) (laughs) well that and that's the thing is like this is from 2004 and so there's been so much more since then they can they can put out a lot of comics in 18 years um and she's yeah i think you nailed it she is definitely a sign of the times in this comic 2004 this is you know a an america that was looking at uh, muslim women and afghani people in a certain way and had i mean even in this comic they have one of the characters referred to her as wearing a burqa which isn't like a very accurate way of describing that um to my understanding again um this is i am white boy john reisinger so <laughs> i'm just trying to do as much research research as i can to understand um but it it it's it's like representation is great um and i'm happy for it and it can be a little clunky when you first get into it um you speaking of representation there's a couple of bisexuals in this book i don't know if you you were able to pick up on them because they weren't super explicit at this point but um my boy prodigy who's david who's the one who can uh, mimic other people's learned abilities he's one of the confirmed bisexuals in the x-men and i love him for it and even cecily kincaid who's mercury um she's another one of them them um little buys hiding uh in plain sight um who later like in this comic you know is obviously pursuing kevin like with her because you know she Mm -hmm. likes that connection with him but then later on the most recent book she has a nice little girlfriend um oh i love that yeah it's good get these these little young queers in the comics um and uh, i love that for it as well um so you know the we're introduced to a lot of characters what were there any points in this that you felt lost that we haven't really kind of like touched on yet because i know that can happen where there's like just surprising you know references to stuff what was like the weak point at where you felt a little lost if there was one I guess maybe really understanding the FBI involvement. Like, I understand external real world involvement and mutants in the government are like a big part of the X-Men lore. But I I kind of struggled to understand. It felt like it came out of nowhere, even though I know it was tied to the backstory. I thought... In my mind, knowing with X-Men movie lore is like there's like an understanding and a lot of people are kind of at the Academy on like deals. So like why was his situation different? I think maybe that just went over my head. Which character exactly? Um, uh, Withers character. Oh, yeah. They actually it, the the story that they reference in it of like why he's not at the school at the time. It does happen in that New Mutants volume two right before this. He OK. He unfortunately like basically what happens is um, Cerebra gets a Cerebra is the name of Cerebra at this time point um, in New X-Men. Beast rebuilds Cerebro as a new upgraded version and calls her Cerebra. So Cerebra finds, you know, uh, a ping of a mutant that's out there that they think they should go get. And actually, Danny, Danny Moonstar is the one who goes and finds him. And she finds him basically living in a, uh, a like a dump site, that kind of thing. He's skipping on class. Um, she has to kind of track him down. And she finds him basically days after he, uh, you know, accidentally killed his dad. 
um, because his dad comes home and he's like really uh, bothered by something. So his dad like tries to console his son. Like his mom is gone at this point, like died when he was young. And so his dad is the only one there and he tries to console him and he gets sick from touching him. And then as Wither was trying to like figure out what was going on and was confused. And as he kept holding his dad, he essentially disintegrated him into dust. Um, and that's going to be a bit traumatizing for a child. Um, and, but Danny shows up and makes the kind of unilateral decision that they're not going to go to the cops. Um, and so she kind of just absconds him to the Xavier school. And so that's kind of why they're, they're having to deal with it because this is kind of a, a, a tug that the X-Men always have with humans is that they can often feel like they're above like human law because certain things don't, you know, apply to them. Um, you know, arguably so, like, he didn't mean to kill his dad. This technically was, you know, a murder, but it was accidental. Um, it's more like manslaughter kind of thing. But the X-Men often do things where they try to, you know, go around the actual law, but this is them just actually having to deal with it. Like, the FBI know that he, you know, is involved with the disappearance or death of his father, and they just have to resolve it. So that's why. Okay, cool. Because for me, it felt, I guess maybe it's, Maybe it's the writing style, but it felt so a little overly dramatic in a sense where they're having all these conversations. And even they mentioned some other uh, people of the main cast where they've had like other offenses that kind of brought them here. And it's not that big of a deal. Like, so I kept thinking, I'm like, is his father someone important? Like, why is the FBI here? Did he accidentally kill like a senator? Like, I I was like, did I miss that? (laughs) Like, (laughs) No, I think it's because, uh, I I agree with you. It's very (laughs) overdramatic. It's a little bit of playing into that, that writing trope where the young, impetuous students could solve this whole problem by just going to the authorities and explaining everything but they make that decision they're like no we're gonna go and 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 solve this ourselves and we're gonna go deal with this you know as youths um and in fact by doing so they make it worse and it becomes a little bit overly dramatic if everyone just sat down and dealt with in a mature way um but yeah i mean it's it's played up drama for the sake of played up drama um and that's i think that's part of some of the storyline that gets a bit again cwe totally where you're like this is not how real world would deal with it but maybe like you know it's a little bit like riverdale you know right i i mean i don't <laughs> get me wrong i was in it for for the for the win but i'm like sitting here and i'm, I'm just sitting to myself this fbi guy man like why is he even worrying about this case like he's already like back there we're, we're working on him it was an accident it was very clear uh, but then we probably wouldn't have the the fight scenes and things like that. So I kind of yeah, it's, yeah, and I, they're I, really agreed. Cool it's a this. little bit of like <laughs> writing for the sake of like setting up, you know, conflict. Um, it's kind of sitcommy, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like those those situations. Like, well, if someone would actually just explain it better, then the the misconstrued information wouldn't have happened, and people wouldn't have had to, you know, do everything that happened. Um, how. How did you feel once we got to the story and they started doing like the little like squad rivalry? What did you feel about that that shift in the story? Oh, I I loved it as an anime fan. I'm like, okay, cool. This is a tournament arc. Like, what? <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, sign me up. Let me get to know more of the other side. And I'm so glad to hear that uh, Mercury is bisexual because I out of everyone on the other team, like I think I really like her the most. <laughs> Uh, she's so cool. She's definitely one of those, like, I'm a huge fan of the very, like, visually apparent mm-hmm. X-Men. Um, I've always been a big fan of, like, Nightcrawler and Colossus and, you know, mutants like that. Um, and so, yeah, like, her design is so cool. Her abilities are so cool. Um, and I, I even love that little written-in connection of, like, you know, Wither can't touch anybody, but it's like, oh, Mercury and him can, like, touch and hold hands and kiss if they wanted so to. So cute. It is very ah! cute. I, 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 I think that's just very clever when writers can make sure to like incorporate that in because then it's not just all like we've done the doom and gloom for forever like with characters like Rogue. Like Rogue for forever couldn't touch anybody and it wasn't until like even d- uh, close to around when this book came out when she finally got control over her powers. Um, so it's like 2005, 2006 until she got it. And so like, we've been through that where, oh, this mutant can't touch anybody and it's sad. So I, I, I like that they, I don't know, found a way around it. It's, it's fun. It's, it's not so dour. 
Um, cause you feel so bad about a lot of these, like even like, uh, wallflower is a good example. I was just uh, about to bring her up. I'm so glad you took it there. Cause I read her and I immediately thought of, um, one of the main characters in the UK show misfits who has something similar. Apparently like when people touch her, they get overly attracted to her. So she can't have any relationships. So yeah. the Fairmore idea was just awesome to me. I'm like, this is a cool power and how it can be used differently. Oh yeah. my gosh. Well, her backstory is interesting as well because they go through it in about they they kind of cover it over one issue in the previous volume where her uh, dad, uh, her estranged father, is actually a guy who um, used these powers to the most like kind of like vile detriment where he knew he had these powers kept them hidden and used them to his advantage of like garnering like you know popularity and success and even used them to uh you know basically get a wife who wasn't really like fully aware of what she was doing and it wasn't until she became pregnant with uh lori wallflower um that she then became immune to his powers and realized that she had been duped into a marriage and to a kid. And so she left him. And so uh, Lori doesn't know her father. And it wasn't until her powers, you know, surfaced during like puberty that her mom realized she had, in, had inherited them. And so her mom kind of like told her like, you can't use these to get people to like you. And that was kind of like the, the slipping, you know, kind of slide into her being scared of her powers and not wanting to use them and being like on her own. But it's again, talk about great little combination oh like her God. meeting up with with a wind dancer who can like, you know, blow the pheromones away. Such a fun little character. You have me shook. Like you're giving me these backstories of these characters. And I was like, oh, I kind of like them. And then the more context you give me, I'm like, wow, these are actually really awesome. Yeah. And, and, and they, they even go, you know, like I said, they go beyond even these six issues that we talked about and developed more. One of my favorite characters that I, I realized rereading through it, we don't get into him very much, was Icarus, the little red-winged guy. Oh, yeah, sad sad boy. <laughs> sad, sad, sad boy, Hawks. Is he yeah, the, yeah. He's not the same guy that from the wing guy from the movies. That's a different guy, right? No, not, yeah, a similar-looking power, and I think that's why they gave him a very visually distinctive kind of difference. Like his wings are like this scarlet red. It was very striking and pretty. Um, but no, although he is actually um, a brother to uh, one of the mutants that was actually part of the original New Mutants team, this guy named Sam Guthrie, who is a uh, codename Cannonball, and so the, it, it ends up that the Guthrie's are like they they're almost like the Hemsworths where they have just a bunch of boys that they have. And all the boys are mutants That's like the funny. parents are humans, um, but they've made all these superhuman little babies, something about their genes. You know, it's like the Hemsworth parents have to have something inside them that makes these gorgeous men. Um, <laughs> and uh, I won't spoil it, but uh, Icarus does have a sad. It's called ending to his story. Um, oh, no. But it, I, I remember it breaking my heart when it happened in the comics. So if you uh, uh, reader beware, um, you're going to uh, one love him even more the more you read because they develop more about him. Um, for one, he gets he has another uh, power where his his music has like calming and uh, soothing effects. Like he's able to create song like a bird, like a songbird. Um, oh my god! And, I didn't even think about it that they. I was about to be like, what are you talking about? Music? Yeah. Yeah, so he like he's a little like you got the vibe that he was like this little broody, emotional, sad boy, and he totally plays into that with like being the guy who like whips out a guitar and likes playing music and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I say it's a sad ending, but every but the great thing about the the current X Men is that the everyone who had a sad ending kind of gets another take at it because they've they've been able to kind of like fix the the mutant issue by having them all live on this island, Krakoa. Um, and so they're all finally living their best lives on this island together. Um, but yeah, I like him. I think I, like I said, I think I probably am drawn to him because one, he's a little emo boy. And I was like totally that kind of person liking those kind of guys in, you know, the early new millennium. Um, and then also he's like a visually striking mutant. That's just very pretty. Um, I love the red and that kind of thing. Oh yeah. He's kind of hot. I'm not going to lie. So yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, so as far as like uh, one of the reasons why I do this show is to try to like give people opportunities to find jumping in points for comics, specifically X-Men, because it's it's such a daunting task to try to even find any point to jump in. I mean, you wouldn't even like 
no one would even know about this comic because it's even like an offshoot of an offshoot. And then they eventually integrate all these characters into a main title. But I'm curious, like, what is your feeling about this being something that anybody could jump into? Um, you think, is it accessible? Does it feel like there's still some like homework you got to do beforehand? No, I think you can hop into this with no context. I mean, maybe the only context you need is what are mutants. They kind of don't really describe that. But even then, you don't really need to know much more than powers exist. <laughs> People have powers. And I think that's what made it a really easy read to get into. Plus, the academy setting is always dope because it's like freshman year. I'm going to learn about all these characters. And it makes sense that no one knows anybody because it's like the start of the year. And everyone is retelling you things. So you get a good refresher at the top. And it kind of brings you into the story pretty pretty straightforward. So I would definitely recommend this. Especially if you're someone who likes uh, My Hero Academia. I'm just saying. I would. I didn't even make that connection. I think I must have subconsciously thought like, oh, this whole like new kids at a school no, setting bro. is I gotta very anime-like. Look at these un- images right now. <laughs> I'm looking at it. Oh, it's oh what oh yeah. I didn't even think about that. That what's that character's name from My Hero Academia? Uh, his name is Hawks. So he looks just like Icarus, like the He's red. He's got wings. the red wings. Yeah, with the oh, hair. Man. I was like, they must have pulled on references, and that anime does reference a lot of characters in the comic book world. I think it's really an anime like take on Western comics. So to learn these references, I think I like the anime more. So thank you. that's so funny i thought about that too when i first watched my academia because there are a lot of similar character like style power sets in my hair academia not not all the same there's some very unique ones in there but like namely you're gonna have to help me remember the name of the 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 boy who has the fire and the ice powers uh todoroki yeah todoroki big big main character there's also this this character in X-Men. I don't know. I think the X-Men character, I don't know how old My Hair Academia the manga is at this point, but I have a feeling that the X-Men character might have come first where it is. She's this um she's this young black woman who's living in Africa and she has a similar story of like that like um the power set um awakens at an inopportune time and she causes destruction but she has the exact same powers where she has control over ice on one side and fire on the other side and so she's like you know the two worlds colliding um and so when i saw my hair i was like oh it's like her i I, that's so funny um oh man i i I just my subconscious must have known it's like this new new x-men academy x it's totally my hair academia Oh man! Well, there you go. Then that's that's the uh, that's the law. That's the the pitch. It's like there oh, it is. you like these you like these uh you know superhero school anime tropes. Like, well, jump into new new X Men Academy X. Um, have I convinced you at all to read X Men comics? Uh, yes, a great and mighty <laughs> teacher. You have opened my eyes and brought me into the world of mutants, and my body is ready. You keep talking about this mutant island, and I heard some stuff. in my wiki dives where it becomes important with new marvel characters in a greater world and like i want to get ahead of it so i need to dive into this tell me where the mutants live now (laughs) well we covered in the very first episode of this so i won't go in length into it but basically jonathan hickman decided as an as a writer and as as the creative lead he decided that the whole trope of the whole the ongoing thing where like we even discussed it where the you know comic characters die but it's often doesn't mean anything because then they're they come back somehow Mm -hmm. he decided to kind of do a couple things in one big swoop and that one of them was he wanted to finally give the x-men a home that was actually at least semi more permanent than other places where finally they had their own nation that they built up on their own and so they're living on a a literally living mutant island called krakoa um the 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 character of krakoa has actually been around since like 1975 um but they kind of revamped the character and turned into this giant island they're all living on they have um, created their own economy they've got their own government called the quiet council that like 12 people are on and they even have solved this problem where the uh, the mutant nation, the mutant population keeps going through these big, like, huge decimation or genocidal events. And it's been a big part of their history. And like I said, uh, Josh Foley Elixir is part of the five, a mutant circuit group that now resurrects 
mutants and brings them back. And so it's no longer a, you know, a thing where it's like, Oh, them dying is a big part of like the plot. It's like, no, they, they took that away and now they are exploring whole new, like, you know, stakes to the mutant story. Um, I love it. It's considered one of the, I mean, basically there's three big points where people point to where the X-Men finally became the X-Men that everybody wants to be. And one was giant size X-Men when Chris Claremont took over and wrote for them for 17 years. The other is Grant Morrison took over and wrote for new X-Men. Basically what we're jumping off of here. Um, and then the other is Jonathan Hickman with house of X powers of 10. And so there are three jumping on points that you can clearly go to for like great moments in X-Men history. And those are them. I'm already I just dumped so much information. No, no, I, I have, I have all of them up, dog. I'm I have a wiki page <laughs> of everything right now. I'm gonna be doing this all weekend now because of you. Thanks. <laughs> I gave you a new obsession. Oh god, I don't <laughs> need another one of those. <laughs> well, I will say if you do read through House of Ten Powers, uh, House of X Powers of Ten, um, would love to hear your take on it. So if you if you get through that at some point and want to pull me aside uh, at the office, um, would love to hear your take on it. Oh, you already know I'm looking at the cover art right now. You think I'm playing? <laughs> Well, I mm. I don't have to sell it to you anymore. But the another selling point is that also with Jonathan Hickman's takeover, they finally canonically implemented that basically all the X Men are a bunch of bisexuals. Um, oh, thank and God! That's... Finally, that's out in the open because I was starting to think that we needed to read the room. Yeah, no, they're they're they're. It's just like the island is now a bunch of queer mutants that are in like these polycules, and they're they're like all living their best queer life. Um, they it's always been like subtext in there and queer coding and that kind of thing, but they have flat out like canonically confirmed a bunch of even old characters. We're talking like Wolverine and Psylocke and characters like that. That's like yes, those are gays. Those are big old gays. Yeah. Yes. Oh, finally. I love that. See, that is probably the, the icing on the cake for me hearing that to motivate me to get into more because I want to read those stories, especially with like characters that I love that I've like yeah. kind of had canon and it just made sense with the character. So to hear that they've kind of listened or have relooked at them and just said, yeah, here we go. Flat out. Yeah, we're uh, well, yeah. We're and they've even <laughs> been they've been letting these books being written by those people as well. In yes. fact, the new version of New Mutants, um, the the one that got launched with Jonathan Hickman, was actually um, written by a transgender woman, um, and she did a phenomenal job. Um, and I adore what she did with the the book. And she's like one of those people that was like grew up a fan, couldn't believe that she got handed the reins of this big title that is a huge part of the X Men history, and then she just knocked it out of the park. So good. Um, so yeah, and not, everything is not fixed and, you know, there's still stumbles along the way, but you know, that's what I love about the X-Men is that somehow this 60 year long soap opera has found a way to continue to build upon this story of the minority group, the lesser of people. Um, and they have, you know, kept growing that story beyond just like the inclusion of people of different, you know, race and color, but also like queer people and, you know, even just gender and, and all that spectrum in between. So um, I'm, I'm happy to say that it's it's continues to evolve and just like the X-Men do. And so I, I hope people get into it, like with these kinds of stories that we read today. Oh, you got me crying over here, too. That was a little bit of a speech, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, nah, I'm, I'm over here like your biggest fan holding up the signs. I said, OK, we in the book club. All right. Okay. Well, I'm so happy we got to talk about the X-Men. I'm glad that I, I at least, uh, it sounds like I somewhat succeeded in finding something that you enjoyed, um, which has been my goal with every one of my guests. Um, with that in mind, I want to make sure to send people to where you want them to go to, uh, you know, hear more from you because I'm sure people are like, who's this BK and how can I follow her more things? I'm assuming Twitch is the best place to send them. Yes. 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 I'm out there live on Twitch all the time. We're doing all the things. We like to have fun chats and we geek out about uh, and we geek out about a lot of fun stuff. So it's pretty much you are. A, you are definitely a, a diverse <laughs> nerd and I love it. Like even. <laughs> Even like uh, you recently had some fun, like argumentative uh, discord about like Star Trek fan base. And I loved it. Like, 
I, I love that you, you're not just like, oh, anime, but you're like, you love the video games, you love the, you know, you got into comics, and you're even into Trekkie stuff, which is such deep nerd stuff. Oh, yeah. The, the spectrum is definitely wide with me when it comes to nerdom. And I'm always constantly learning new things and I love to share it. So once I'm put on best believe, you know, I'm going to be talking to everyone like, hey, you know about Academy X, though? <laughs> well, listen, my homie John said it's what's up. So, <laughs> did you guys know that Cyclops and Emma Frost are a couple for a bit? They were. <laughs> I I'm preaching. I'm preaching now. I kind of like it. And the more I learn about Emma Frost, like you've really opened Ooh. my mind. So I've been honored to uh, She's be, one of my be favorites. here. I love her. Well, thank you so much for being here with me. This was such a delight. I appreciate you going through this little uh, Riverdale-esque story with me. Um, and I look forward to maybe passing you at, at work and getting to, to hear a little bit more about your adventures into uh, the comic world. Okay? You already know, John. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank as well, thank you to you and the audience listening. Appreciate you guys' support. Love you guys being here. Appreciate everybody on on the socials and on patreon everything like that it's been so fun i'm having so much fun doing this show and we're going to keep doing more so tune in next time and i will see you then all right bye bye now